Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Hello, good afternoon everyone. Um, I hope you've been enjoying the really rich conversations um, that we've had so far. I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Reverend Lucy Winkett and we're going to be spending some time talking about her new book, Reading the Bible with Your Feet. Lucy, hello. Hello, um, hi Ginny. Thank you. Your, your book has got an, an intriguing title, Reading the Bible with Your Feet. What, what do you mean by that? It's a quotation from um, a liberation theologian called Carlos Mestres, who said that um, we obviously we read the Bible with our with our eyes, with our head and our heart, he said. But um, but we should learn to read the Bible with our feet because the story of Scripture is the story of the people um, on their journey um, and in the light of God's presence and with God accompanying them. But um, I, I suppose you would you could translate that as kind of walking the walk as well as talking the talk, which is a great challenge if you're trying to use words as a preacher. But um, but reading the Bible with your feet, I've I've found for a long time a very captivating image and one that makes sense to me as a as a preacher. And it's a book. It's just a book of sermons, really um, collected together over the past few years. It, it's interesting that it's it's you've been in ministry for twenty five years. So, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you you lost the earlier sermons in a, in a malware attack. Um, so so the sermons are actually from from very recent years. And I wonder if there is something. Um, about that that you want to say in terms of obviously over the past few years in particular we've lived through a, a, you know, a certain period in history um, and, and how that is for you having you know just sermons from recent years rather than kind of right through um, the 25 years. Yeah I mean it, it was odd to have um, to have them all quarantined at one point you know you get that kind of flashing message on the computer and, and I thought gosh that's it that's and I what certainly wasn't going to pay whatever it was a thousand dollars or whatever they were asking I, I didn't want to uh, give them the satisfaction so it's my own stubbornness I suppose that means that I've lost all these sermons but um, but yes they'd all gone and I but I in the end I found that was a rather it was a rather cleansing experience and I think that the theme if, if you preach over time and preach you know Sunday Sunday by Sunday or sometimes more often than that over time um the themes you know the themes endure from when you from when you started but clearly um the past couple of years have been quite extraordinary so um, so although the themes might be might be still there and I can recognize from some of the very first um, sermons, I mean, it, you know, you'll know yourself, you know, when you first start speaking in, in a service or preaching, it, it's completely terrifying and you can't really remember what you what you said or what you thought you might say. And, you know, it, it's all very difficult. But as you go along, hopefully you realize that you're, this is a communal effort it's not just you standing up there being alone speaking while everyone listens it's actually a community that creates sermons and one then then the, the words emerge and the themes emerge out of that so for the past couple of years of course um we've had to learn to preach online or to speak to a camera like i'm like i'm speaking to you now you know i can i can see you but uh, but there's the there's the computer that's been a completely different way of of trying to preach um, rather than just speak. Interesting. So let's um, talk a bit more about that then. I what has that done? Has that done anything to your preaching and how you communicate? 
is there anything that's been lost by not being kind of physically present? And um, I guess potentially in that has the the role of or the nature of what preaching is for um, changed um, over that time for you? I think the the communal nature of preaching for, for me has always been very important and that when that's gone back you know right to the beginning um, learning to preach in different contexts and with different congregations and different denominations I trained ecumenically at the Queen's College in Birmingham so that was incredibly important to get uh, to get Anglicans out of Anglican churches frankly and to get to get us into different denominations where congregations had different expectations you know about length or content or interaction with the congregation. Um, so I, I've often uh, really valued the fact that we're kind of in it together and I, you, you can kind of, you're, you're communicating with people in the room. That's been obviously completely different, even on Zoom, where you can see people's faces, often they're muted or um, or indeed often they're not muted. And that's a whole, that's a whole other, that's a whole other set of, uh, set of um, reactions and distractions. But um even on Zoom, um, it's it's difficult to be able to do this together, and I've really missed I've really missed that. Um, so we uh, at the parish I'm in at the moment, we've used different platforms. So we've used YouTube and and Zoom for different types of services. Um, but when you're physically together, you can feel that sometimes um, there are um, there are themes that you're kind of going down that are you, you need to have some courage for, and that you you can kind of generate that together. And that's been more difficult, I think, more difficult online. It's a more isolating experience and can and you can start to convince yourself that what you've got to say is is the important thing. And that's never been never been an approach that I've wanted to um, to embrace as a preacher. Oh, you, you touched on it a little then about um, kind of training in different contexts. And I wonder if you want to say more about um, what you learned from uh, black majority churches about preaching um, and thinking about that, um, even the concept of um, a book of sermons is obviously a, a very kind of Anglican concept and that you could you know, write a very kind of pack, packaged um, sermon. Um, what did you learn about preaching in black majority contexts um, that kind of maybe you've taken on your on your journey? Yes, that was a really important part of of training, actually. And I'm I was very fortunate to spend a year in a Pentecostal church in Birmingham, and as a as a rookie preacher anyway, but as as a as a as the only white member of the church for that year, or as, as a white preacher in a black majority church, that was. Um, that was a really uh, strong learning experience for me at a, at a formative moment, at a formative time. And it's made me quite passionate about how clergy are trained. I mean, that's a, that's a whole other topic, I should say, probably. But um, so what I learned there really was that, that, that um, this particular congregation were just extraordinarily generous to this 20-something um, complete beginner as a preacher. Um, they were expecting a sermon of 45 minutes and I was, you know, I was being trained to preach sermons of 10 minutes. So that's in itself, that was quite a quite a challenge. Um, but what I learned quite quickly was that the congregation helped me. So if I was if I was uh, setting off, I remember I was preaching on. Um, I remember one sermon I preached on the ninth chapter of John, which is um, 
the man born blind and then people said to Jesus, is, is he blind because he's sinned? And then his parents get involved. And there's quite a lot of kind of convoluted discussions that, that go on around this particular person. And uh, I think I just frankly got myself tied up in tied up in knots and um, and started to, to started to flounder. And what I realized in that moment was that I just had to let go of this pretense that I was transmitting some wisdom to another to, to, a, to a whole group of people because they this, this congregation started to help me and people started to suggest things and you know to, to the point there was one particular phrase that quite often happened in that particular church which was help her Jesus and so somebody shouted out help her Jesus and then the kind of the, the congregation started to talk together about this ninth chapter of John and 45 minutes went by extremely quickly so um, I, I really valued that and understood that even then, perhaps in an Anglican context where people are less likely to be verbal about that, uh, about that kind of communal experience, it is still a communal experience and you mustn't um, run away with the fantasy that it's not. So I, I learned in that particular context, preaching there for that year, um, the generosity of a congregation and in fact that you only ever preach by consent and again preachers we, we can run away with a fantasy if we're six foot above contradiction up in a pulpit there that we're somehow uninterruptible or that we're somehow unchallengeable um, and our sermons are much much the poorer for thinking that or believing that um, so I learned that congregations are are um, necessarily generous in accepting the kind of um the the, the ideas or the um or the the uh, points that a preacher might be trying to make and i i've always tried i suppose to preach in such a way that it's it's a bit like saying if i, if I have if i have scripture here i want to say this is this is, this is amazing. Have you seen this? This is this is what I see. Can you see this as well? And have it as a have it as a question, really. Um, in reality, in Anglican churches, quite often you are the person speaking for ten minutes. I don't want to, you know. Of course, that's true, but but you have to. I, I believe you have to preach in such a way that you're expecting at any moment someone to say, "Really? Why do you think that? And how did you come to that? And let's work this out together." Hence, reading the Bible with your feet. But not as an individual, always in community. I think I loved one of the um, I think somewhere in one of the sermons where you talked about um, the congregation should feel like oh, I'll have what she's having, um, <laughs> uh, and I, I kind of like that really that concept. And there's this really lovely quote that where you're talking about saints, and you say that um, saints are companions who reassure us that the path we tread, however challenging or alarming, is one that's been trodden before. In the vast and unknowable universe, we are never alone. I love that idea um, that, you, that you've been drawing out, which is around the, the collective of the sermon and, and not being, um, not the preacher as distinct in imparting wisdom, but as part of. And I wonder in that, in your um, your style as a, as a, as a preacher um, and as a priest, whether there is something that is um, uniquely, um, female about the way that you uh, that you preach not to kind of stereotype what women are like but is there something about how you um how you preach which is about which which includes you more and is that is that is that a woman thing or is that something else 
That's a really good question. I think I'm aware of the history of women speaking publicly in churches. And I'm also aware of the contemporary context. Again, ecumenically, women do not speak publicly in churches in most, most uh, Christian denominations in the world today. And certainly in our own denomination, um, in the Reformation, you know, there were there were some absolutely horrendous ways of silencing women. So I think the relationship between women and speaking and silence is a is a complex history that I never want to take for granted when I, as a as an ordained woman, am given permission to speak. Um, I don't feel over grateful for that. <laughs> um, I don't feel over needy about it. I think it's a. I think it's something that's quite normal and natural, but for many different reasons, the church simply hasn't been able to recognise that for much of, the, much of you know much of its history, and for much of my lifetime. And I suppose that's something I also feel is important in this generation that women who are speaking in church um, understand that in in uh, in the very near past this has been illegal. And that's a very, it's, it's actually quite a shocking, it's a very shocking thing to, to think of that we're part of this, this kind of seismic change. And I feel that that's, um, again, it's a responsibility that is hopefully a liberating one rather than a confining one. And the fact that women's voices, and I'm talking about public women voice, women's voices, you know, women have always taught their sons the Lord's Prayer at home in private spaces. That's been uh, that's been accepted that women can uh, unpack the scriptures and teach and teach uh, uh, male members of the household, for example. But in public, that's still quite a contested space for an, for a woman and an ordained woman. Or, in, or a laywoman who is preaching. And I think that's uh, that therefore gives me a lot of, I, I feel energized by that. It gives me a lot of joy um, to be there. Um, as I said, not, not a kind of sense of over, overweening gratitude, but simply a natural, this is where we belong and we, we should speak with our own voices. So while I don't think, I think I probably wouldn't want to claim that there's a, distinctively feminine or stereotypically female way that I'm approaching the scriptures. I don't really think that um, exists. It, it inevitably is grown out of the context of the history of historic exclusion. And, and now that historic exclusion, thank God, in many contexts is past, um, at least at least formally, um, not necessarily culturally, that's another thing. But if, if I, as a, a woman, am speaking publicly about the scripture and breaking the scripture with the people, that's, an, that's a, a privilege that I, I genuinely can't possibly take for granted. I don't think I ever will. Even if I'm preaching into my 90s, I will still be slightly astonished and, and delighted that this is possible. I, I think for you in particular, for, for, for the many people you are, the face of women's ordination and it's been um you know the women debate um the public women's voices within the church is part is inextricably inextricably linked with your journey and you write um about um being confronted um i think it was outside st paul's by someone if you want to tell tell that story and and being followed you know being followed for a documentary the calling etc and what that's like i wonder even though you feel like 
you're not necessarily over grateful if you're happy about it whether you you do feel that responsibility but is it a very is it a conscious thing um when you are preparing sermons um or is it um how does that kind of um, manifest in your your preparation and speaking yeah i i mean yes of course you know and um those first years of of women being ordained in the church of england were um they were they were tough for for many different people for many different reasons and again looking back now i i suppose hindsight is a good thing isn't it but i you, you can see more clearly um what, what how it was how it was kind of panning out or how it was working out um but i think there was a for me personally there was a kind of crucible effect of having to keep on going into the pulpit which became a, which became a place of um well i mean of course of course a, a place of confidence and and authority because that's the authority we've been given but also a place of suffering to keep to keep going back there and to keep being public at a time when there was it, it was so contested and so it was it was clearly this sight of, of a woman in a pulpit with a dog collar on was was extremely painful genuinely for a number of um, a number of people who then expressed that very strongly I, I can see that a bit more clearly now but i think that um that i suppose one of the things it's reminded me is that our as a as a as disciples male or female wh whoever we are there's um our chief spiritual task is not to kind of invent things or be creative or think of stuff to do or think of things to say or put on events all of that is actually not not relevant our chief our chief task is to return to the source of all being and to remember why we're there in the first place and from that will flow a direction and a and and from that will flow words so for me to keep to return and return and not to to persist i suppose hopefully gently and and with a degree of um what i often call redeemed humility so not not over humble not a kind of uriah heap humility but a but a redeemed humility which is that we've learned to stand before we choose to kneel um to, to wash the feet of others that that redeemed humility gives us a place and a way of talking about scripture that is i hope liberating for for others and that has to be that has to be the aim so a couple of practical questions now um because i'm nosy how do you prepare for a sermon what is the process that you go through um to to, to achieve um or to create mm, a sermon? To, to write a sermon um well i uh, what I try, I suppose I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what the ideal is, Chino. But you know, in a in a busy week, you know, sometimes this doesn't quite get done. But okay, it, this is this is the uh, this is the idea. So I I try to read the readings quite early. Uh, and if you're preaching every week, that would mean that would mean you know Monday for the following week, and and kind of live with them or have have the particularly the gospel stories or or um, whatever whatever the scripture um, is speaking to you, have that living during the week and to let that be in dialogue with the lived experience of your community and you as an individual. So I think preaching is never done in isolation, as I've been trying to say. And it's uh, it's 
it, it's, it means that the, the sermon emerges out of the context of the politics of that week, the events of that week, the, the, you know, the life of the church and you as a life as an individual. So I just let it kind of, um, uh, kind of per permeate, I suppose, the events of, of the week. I'm a great, um, I'm a great fan of the analogy of the tea bag. Um, there's a, there's a wonderful quotation by Eleanor Roosevelt, which is that a woman is like a tea bag because you don't know how strong she is until she's in hot water. And there's something about scripture, I think, that um, it, its flavour infuses the, the life of the week. So that has to that has to kind of rumble on. And then, of course, um, when I'm sitting down to write um, to write a sermon, I, and I do write them, I, I have to say, in most of the contexts I've been in, um, that's been an appropriate way to to deliver a sermon is to have a text. But I, I, I'll say I could say a little bit more about that in a moment. But I, um, so I do write, I do write myself a sermon, and um, I will, I will look at commentaries, of course. But what commentaries you look at, that's also really important. So right from the beginning, um, I used um, feminist and womanist theologians and feminist and womanist interpretations of scripture. Again, I, this is this was simply the way I was trained, and that's why theological training is so important. So I didn't just go to the the kind of classic uh, commentaries and then do those on the side they were all together always for every passage and that was a, a really important um discipline discipline from the beginning so yes then to write some uh, to, to to look at some commentaries and see where the scripture is is leading me in that sense but to have a to have an idea that there is if, if the scripture is here then behind the text is the authorial intention and the you know the politics of the and the society of the time and all that that's important to know about there's the text itself and then there's everything in front of the text um, which is where the feet come in so how does my lived experience how does yours and my lived experience as a community speak to that text out of that emerges the the word of god um, so only when all of that is in place and the week's events have been you know chewed over and the commentaries have been studied, then then I can sit down and write something. Um, and quite often I will not say exactly what I've written. And again, that goes back to the to the training in different denominational contexts. But I sometimes also, if there's something that I think, gosh, I'm not sure about this part, or this this would be quite a this would be quite a strong thing to say, and I need to gauge it at the time. I have paragraphs sometimes in italics. And I, I, on the day, I think, okay, how does that does that does that work today, or does that not work today? Um, one really good example of that was I was preaching about money so some years ago, and I thought I just wondered if I was brave enough. I was talking about to I was talking about the fact that our bank balance, our bank statement, sorry, is a as a moral document. You know what we do with our money is important, and how what we actually do with it. And I thought, well, I can't just say that. I've got to I've got to put my Put myself into this somehow so um i wrote out i wrote out my bank statement for the previous two months the actual you know what i'd actually spent it on which was you know in many ways a bit shameful um, and i thought how can i can i possibly would that help or would it not help so i put it all in italics and just decided to do it on the day i did it by the way wow. i was really scared <laughs> i was really scared <laughs> I think I have that um, where I, um, when I'm speaking in front of uh, white, white audiences, I, I might um, say white supremacy or I might change it to white superiority, depending on how, how brave I'm feeling. 
Um, I wonder actually if you could say more about that um, being trained at Queen's and the kind of womanist and the black liberation theology and, and what that um, what that does to your preaching um, and what is it about those kind of different ways of, of seeing um, that, that changes it and is important. I, I, I mean, it, 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 it does, it does change things because, you know, we, a lot of the discussion over the past 18 months in the churches has, has um, rightly been um, around the phrases, you know, um, white privilege um, and, uh, and as you say, you know, white superiority, white supremacy, that's, in, it, these are incredibly important words and phrases to to speak out loud and i think that's where to kind of to pivot a bit from where i've where i've been focusing which is on the action and lived experience in the context of preaching words are really important and so um there was a sermon that i was preaching um quite recently I, i'm trying to remember it was uh, it was either on the feast of the transfiguration or it's on the sunday before lent which also has the transfiguration um story in it and um, it was this idea, this notion of um, white being the colour of the uh, presence of God. And the more intensely white the clothes were, that meant that, you know, the more intensely God was present. And, you know, as a white person preaching on that, um, preaching on that story, it's really important to name that and, you know, acknowledge the the um, the, the, pro the problem with that, the, the very weakest, the problem with that. Um, imagery and I think for a white preacher preaching in a white majority church which is where I am now um, uh, that that is that is still it's very important for that to be a, a topic and it's easy for it not to be a topic um, I think it's Anthony Reddy who said that sometimes he can hear white preachers um, in white majority contexts struggling with this with the with the topic of ethnicity because he said it's like I think he's, he's got a brilliant phrase. It's like the it's like a fish trying to describe the sea, mm. um, a white person trying to describe a kind of white majority um, theology. And what I mean, I said it in the middle of that sermon. I remember saying it. I said I can feel my sentences are getting quite long, and the I, I'm speaking very carefully. And I think it's because I'm a fish trying to trying to describe the sea, and trying to trying to take that on and and be that person struggling with that in with with the community i think is probably um what i would have learned from a womanist perspective which says that struggle is the paradigm for dealing with scripture mm. so uh, you know again as a as a white preacher it's easy to feel that struggle isn't isn't what what is this you know or, or where is the struggle as a woman of course that's been really clear to to struggle with scripture but it's phyllis tribble from um from her texts of terror book amazing book um where she says that we as women engage with scripture um as jacob wrestled with the angel and that we, we really struggle with it and i would take it on to say that just as that story in genesis we struggle with scripture and then it might leave us limping temporarily but we and we but we know we've seen the face of god and we might even say as jacob says i will not let you go until you bless me so the struggle with scripture is what i learned from um you know theologians like james cone for example who we we just studied as as a matter of course at theological college 
and then um, womanist and feminist the, uh, uh, scriptural uh, theologians would teach me that the struggle is there is integrity in the struggle itself so now as a white person i want to be able to do that as a white person and un and try to understand what that uh, what that privilege has been but to be active about that and not for that not to kind of lock up lock us as a white majority congregation up in some paralyzing guilt or um or kind of um self-flagellation in an unhelpful way um, but at the same time to recognize what james patterson calls white horror that you mm. you know you, mu you must face it and and don't try not to look away um that takes a lot of takes a lot of courage for an individual person um but together i think it's possible wonderful um it's interesting isn't it that, that you know though you are a white um preacher preaching in a, a white majority context with, with all the privilege that comes with that and perhaps the pandemic has been um the struggle that that we that wasn't there before um and you touched on it a bit earlier but maybe we can talk a bit more about the pandemic um and maybe how that changed things for you or whether you saw your your role as a little bit different and um, there's a quote um where you write um from in one of the sermons during the pandemic this sacramental communion of saints gathers whatever the restrictions whatever the constraints we will be here making church being church not gathered but dispersed yet no less present no less bound by our baptism whatever comes I wonder maybe you could say more about what you learned um, preaching and leading a church during the pandemic. I, I think, I mean, there are, there are two, three things there. One of the things, just to relate specifically to your, um, to your question about being a white preacher in a white majority context and the privilege that comes with that, I think that there was a degree of uncertainty um, that came, came into church, which, uh, which was I, I mean, it's always there, uncertainty under the surface and, you know, how do we do this and how can we be together and what's the best way to be church and how can we put ourselves into the way of in the way of grace and what, how is God leading us? All of those questions are, all, are always there, but there was, there's a kind of fantasy of permanence um, that the pandemic really challenged. And we have the great... Um, privilege of having in our congregation quite a number of people going through the asylum system and quite a number of those people are from countries um uganda nigeria ghana um and are in this are in the asylum system uh because they're claiming asylum on the grounds of their sexuality so i think as a white church leader i kind of thought to myself gosh that's going this is going to be difficult for different groups in our congregation for that particular group that's going to be difficult you know i'll we'll, we'll be in touch and see and in fact, um, you know, individuals in in uh, in the system simply said, um, "This is normal." You know, you um, it's as if society has come to join the uncertainty, the panic, the um, the distress, the social isolation that I have been feeling anyway. And there was much more um, recognition and resilience from uh, some members of our congregation who had, who had been through or are going through or have been through that system than um, other others who were living with a kind of uh, security in normal times that had been taken away by COVID-19. So there was a huge disparity in the, um, in the experience 
uh, of all of us in that. But for me, as a as a preacher, it it foregrounded and brought to the surface um, a degree of uncertainty and and I suppose anxiety, worry that um, that was really hard to cope with at times. So I think again, if you're if you want to be a preacher who preaches in a in a in a church where the congregation is with you or or at least you're exploring it together, then to be um, and you know many many preachers have said this. I'm not alone in this, but to be suddenly alone with a laptop on YouTube, looking at num looking at num you can see some numbers. There are some people there, but you can't really uh, interact with them. Was was very isolating, but it also threw up some really interesting liturgical uh, moments. So, for example, on Ash Wednesday, we, our church is quite a liturgical church. We would, you know, we wear robes and we have we light candles, we use incense. On Ash Wednesday, we would ash the congregation, and because everyone was in their own homes, we asked people to, if they wanted to, to ash themselves. So the whole theology of that was quite interesting. So it, it seemed to me that Jesus, with the woman caught in adultery, he was writing on the ground. You remember he writes on the ground before he says what he's going to say and the crowd is baying. It was a little bit like the congregation writing on their own forehead or what, what were they going to write? They were going to write the symbol of salvation, which was the cross. And that was what was going to happen in this pause moment with all the chaos going on around and the inequality and the injustice of the situation, like the woman caught in adultery. What we were going to do on Ash Wednesday was pause and write before we spoke. So there were some extraordinary connections. I, I've never thought that before. I, that's never become, has never become apparent to me before. And it invited the congregation into that liturgical action in a way that was completely new. And I would never have thought of it uh, before we had to do it on, on YouTube, as it were. And just finally, um, what are you hoping that people will um, take from the book, the collection of sermons? What are you What are you hoping for with it? I suppose I would I would love it if people saw preaching in its widest possible context. I think words are very important, language is very important, but but it's St Francis who said, "Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words." So I suppose what I would want to say is that everyone finds in themselves their own preacher and they can see the way that they would want to say what they find in scripture, not necessarily dressed in funny clothes at the front on a Sunday in a church service, but in the rest of life. Because, you know, walking through walking through scripture is, I, 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 in the title of the book, that's what I'm trying to encourage us all to do. And to say that we all have a preaching ministry, every single person has a preaching ministry, um, and that can be in a conversation, because conversation is revolutionary in scripture. Um, it can be in conversation as much as it is standing up at the front. Thank you so much, Lucy. And Reading the Bible with Your Feet is available from the bookshop. I really encourage everyone to buy it um, and, and to read um, Lucy's beautiful sermons. It's been lovely to talk to you, Lucy. Thank you, Jenny. Um, Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.
The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode. Thank you.